0: The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm glad you're here. Thank you, Kevin, uh, for praying. Like like Fred and Kevin said, if this is your first time here, in that uh, Welcome God is a guest card, and we'd love to have you fill that out. We don't do anything weird. Uh, We just try to get some information to you about who we are. this week is a is a special weekend. We're kicking off. We're stepping out of the book of Acts, and uh, we're going to spend the next three weekends talking about our foundations campaign, and uh, it's a special weekend because worship for me was just awesome. I mean, I got to be led by my daughter, and then my mother-in-law and father-in-law are here. Thank you, guys. And my mother-in-law is playing the violin. She's my, my yo-yo mom-in-law. I mean, it's cello. It's quite It's a big violin. It's a big violin. Well, I played the bass, so, um, so But and, and all that messed up my joke. I was setting up, she's my yo-yo mom-in-law. So now you can laugh. Okay. So anyway, I'm glad you're here. If I haven't gotten to meet you or talk to you, I'd love to talk to you in the lobby afterwards. And uh, we're going to spend the next three weeks really kind of revisiting not a, a financial campaign, but the vision uh, for a campaign. Uh, this This time last year, we launched this this idea called foundations, and it was really birthed out of this whole idea of God telling us to be ready um, He said you know you 've got to be ready for the next step. we believe god was was bringing us to a place of a church uh, of moving into that next step we 're constantly looking for what God wants to do in the life of our church and uh, honestly it was it was one of those things where God just said, Be ready and we're like, all right i mean we we were praying we were we were fasting. We were wrestling. We were just diving into scripture. We were seeking God's face, seeking His presence, seeking His peace. And and as as that started to take shape, uh, we ended up uh, in a, a capital campaign. That honestly, we there, there was money pledged. And for you numbers folks, I'll tell you the numbers. Okay, so don't 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 start jonesing. Uh, but the numbers were three hundred fifty five thousand dollars, and of that, over two hundred fifty thousand has already been received. And so I want to thank you for your faithfulness in that. But I told you this time last year, and I'll say it again, this is not a financial journey. If it's a financial journey and and, and we're not more in love with Jesus as a result, then it's a failure. There's a lot of organizations around the, the world that can raise money. And there's a lot of organizations that can do great things. But we're called to follow Jesus so closely that we look like him, we act like him. That when the world sees us, they engage us as though they're engaging Jesus. And we can't give our way into that. Um, it has to. So We have to be so transformed by the life and the, the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus that we draw closer to him. So we're not on a financial journey. We're on a spiritual journey. Um, to be honest with you, at this point last year, I didn't know what raising money was going to be for. I, I, you can make fun of me on this, okay? I've made fun of myself. I'm good at that. I have great self-awareness. I can pick on myself all day long. I stood on this platform and said, here's what we hope to see. God is calling us to be ready, and we want to be able in the spring to identify property. We'd love to see a lease space that we can move into that would double, uh, give us double the space to go through. So we're, as we're going through this building process, uh, we'll have room for the church to continue growing. I'm, I stood on this platform, and everything we launched last year was on vision. I had nothing to show you. I mean, imagine that as a leader. I got to call my friends and say, okay, as a leader, I've got to ask people to follow me, but I can't tell them where I'm going. I mean, it was difficult. It's still difficult. I mean, like, hey, we're just, just take off running, you know? Where are we running? I don't know. Just follow me. I mean, and I'm just like, I'm pressing in. God, you realize these people are following me, and I'm trying to follow you, and they're following you, and I need you to tell me where we're going. He's like, you'll know, you'll know. But did the whole thing of be prepared. And um, I couldn't imagine how God had put this together, not knowing that just a few months later, you know, God would connect some conversations with two pastors over coffee into what if. Um, I spoke to you about vision last year out of Habakkuk 2. And uh, I, I put it on your, on your notes because I really want to revisit that. I think it's important for us to revisit vision. And the, the main text we're going to get into today is Ephesians 2. You can go ahead and turn to Ephesians 2. We'll be there later. Um, but if, if, if you've got to have that and put your finger in that, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one on the sides. or the ends of the rows, if you don't own a Bible, put your name in it. That's our gift to you. But Habakkuk 2 is what I taught out of last year about vision. And this is what the Lord said. It says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. This is one of those passages that as I read now, I can make fun of myself. Because as we stood here this time last year going, look, God's got a vision for our church. It's incredible, and it's just we need, we got to go on this journey together. That a few months later, God's saying, it won't delay. I'll show it to you. I'll make it plain. That we end up in a conversation with another church that, that before the creek even launched, they had bought property and started a process of building a facility. They ran out of money and couldn't finish it. It's been sitting empty, um, unfinished for several years we were able to come in and, and work out an agreement that's going to allow us to take ownership of that facility, finish the building, and move in as our next step as the Creek Church by Easter of next year. Um, this was incredible because as we wrestled with our elders and leadership team and, and, and looking at the future process this time last year, here's what it looked like, buying land, moving into a bigger space, and hopefully in the next three years being a facility. Um, that facility at that time was looking at about 2.1 to 2.4 million dollars this is for all you heady numbers guys uh, 2.1 to 2.4 million dollars this process that god had in store for us that did not delay that at the right time god made it clear saves us between 750 and 1.2 million dollars and speeds the timeline up for us to be in a permanent facility by Easter Now, here's the beautiful thing. It doesn't change our ministry one bit. We don't put any ministry on hold to pay for a building. I just refuse to do that. It's the same thing. If we set out on a financial journey, I consider that a failure. If we have to sacrifice ministry for a house, I consider that a failure. And so what I want to do is understand the vision of the house, the vision of the church today, because... I don't know if you've been through this or if you haven't, you will go through it. But remember your first house. I mean, I remember Heather and I's first house. We we uh, would sit in our apartment on our patio squattin' roaches. You know that makes it sound much better, doesn't it? We had they were water bugs. They were like this big. Um, <laughs> But uh, we would sit there, we would talk about that house and that when we move, just what that's gonna do for our family. It's gonna be a place for our family to expand. It's gonna be a place where, you know, cooking in a new kitchen, I mean, just all of the things. And you start creating a vision for your family not a vision for walls and outlets and rooms but a vision for what we as a family can be as a result of this move now once you step into the model home all that goes away <laughs> because you start looking at the walls oh a media room you know a big garage big outlets here all these outlets all the, where's the doors the pantry you know all the things that we're all concerned about that when we're looking at a house but honestly we can't miss the foundational element that's the vision for the house, we can't make it about the walls and about the, the doors and the windows and the seats and the, all, all of the, the pieces. We've got to see the house before we see the house. Does that make sense? I'm going to show you some artist renderings next week of the walls, of the colors, of the floor plans, so then you can start saying, oh, look at the space. But today I want us to see the vision before we see the house. And that's important for us to understand what it does for us as a family. And so when we talked through Habakkuk 2, we, we talked about this idea of vision. Vision is a clear picture of a, prefer, a preferable future. There is a difference between a vision and a dream. If I had to boil it down to one word, the difference between a vision and a dream is work. A dream is something that we kind of sit around and, and, and think about. A vision is given. God gives us a vision. He gives us that picture of the future. And and here's the truth. Every one of us are created with a purpose. He's given us a vision, a hope, and a future. And he has created you. He's knit you together for a specific purpose that he has called you to. A dream, uh, let, let me just help you. We like to sit around and daydream. And you think about what's the thing that keeps you up at night or the thing that you think about right before you go to sleep. Those are the things that start to come from the dreams. Vision comes from God. A dream comes from me. Now, I know me. I told you I can make fun of myself. I know me well enough to know I'm broken, that I can be selfish, that I can be greedy, that I can be prideful. And so from a dream to come from my heart is going to fit all of those categories what happens with this this circumcision of the heart that the Holy Spirit does, he begins to cut away the flesh and gets me to his vision. A lot of us are too scared to engage in the vision that God has for our life because we're worried about the desires of our heart. We like to hold on to the nugget of Scripture where God will give me the desires of my heart. So if I fully surrender to this vision, I'm not going to get what I want. What I want is going to be what I want. It's going to come from the flesh side of me. When God is able to then circumcise that flesh off of my heart and get me to the point where I can see what he wants for my life, those desires start to be shaped out of his vision. Does that make sense? That, that when he starts to, to take away and deal with my pride, he starts to cut those areas away, then what I'm going to get to is the real desire of my heart and the vision that God has for my life are going to intersect and it's going to be incredible. And it's going to be those things that are, that are greater than I can ask or imagine. I, I'm not good enough to write the story of the creek the way it's been written. I'm not that creative. I'm really not. I can come up with some good stuff, but I just can't write the story of our church the way God's written it. And vision has to be written. We've got to write it down. I'll tell you some of the crazy things that, that, that I love as a church. He opened up a daycare center when, honestly, I was like, God, I don't even know if, are you really, is this really what we're supposed to do? And if you, those of you who know me know I have a very low gag reflex. And honestly, the first thought I had with a daycare center was, man, that's going to stink. <laughs> Not in the overall, like, that's going to stink. I mean, it's going to stink. We are going to have to invest in some air freshener. I mean, senses galore. I, I mean, just whatever it takes, man. Lysol, senses. I don't know. Febreze. You know, I'm telling you, the, those commercials, they lie. There is not truth in that advertising. I have sprayed Febreze in this building chasing down a dirty diaper. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, no, no. You can't put me in a car with all that nastiness and think it, I'm not going to smell it. But God knew. What he wanted us to do. Let me share with you. The, the, I know we'd like to get the the head data. Let me share with you some heart data. Since we launched the church. We've seen 69 people. Saved. Now I like to track data. I like to track everything I can. And these are numbers that we've been communicated. But 69 people. Have given their life to Christ. That is the Holy Spirit. Breathing life on the dry bones. That through the cross, through the blood of Christ, new life is given. 48 decisions to rededicate their life to Christ. What that means is at some point there's been a decision to, to surrender their life to Christ and they've basically walked away from that surrender. And they've come back in God's grace and mercy. You realize that many of us have been that prodigal son and that God runs to us and he restores us. And then 77 times we've been able to get in the pool and baptize people. That's the numbers that count to me. Forget the money. We can raise money. We can spend money. We can do all that. But it's only our submission to the vision that God's given us as a church do we see lives changed by the gospel. That's how we glorify God. I'm not going to stand before God someday and go, Hey, God, look at this building project I led for you hey, God, look at all the money our church raised for you. He's going to say, what did you do with Jesus? I gave you the gospel. I gave you reconciliation. I made you a minister of reconciliation with a message of reconciliation. What did you do with it? It's not about a building. So vision is given, vision is written, and then vision is declared. This is the scary part. Because this puts it out there for people to criticize. I mean, in the quiet place uh, that Heather and I would pray, and God had given us a vision to launch a church, God had given us a vision to to, to embark in this journey, and then we write it down. There's a lot of things. I mean, I'm a planner. I've got the business case. I pulled out the business case that we had from three and a half years ago, and it's incredible how God is so creative I mean, I, I look at I look at the man I was three and a half years ago, and I look like, man, I was such a punk. Like you didn't have a clue. God did. I'm sure I'll look at myself three and a half years from now and go, man, he was such a punk. He didn't have a clue. And God's like, yes, I know. But vision is declared. We stand on that, and we said, this is what God has called us to do. This time last year, we stood on this platform and said, this is what God has called us to do. I can't tell you exactly where we're going, but this is what he's called us to do. Be prepared. And when we pledged that, here's the word that God gave me. Whatever is there is enough. We've got to realize that. God is enough. I mean, every every church planting model Heather and I went through, we launched the church with about half a million dollars less than we were supposed to. I'm telling you, man, I ain't waiting on money. I'd still be waiting on money. But it's declared. And we got criticized for that. Well, how are you going to do this? I don't know. God knows. Where are you going to meet? God will show us. This time last year, we declared it. We're stepping out on faith. We're going to be ready. Well, where are you going? Well, We don't know yet. But I'm sure God will make that clear. Just a couple months after that, the vision became very clear. See, God doesn't... God doesn't always give us everything until we step on faith. Because vision is seen through the eyes of faith. I've got to see it before I see it. Does that make sense? It's that faith becoming sight where God allowed us to see before we saw. Vision always trumps sight. The vision for the house. We've got to see the house before we see the house. We've got to understand what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be. Otherwise, we never, and here's where we really fall. Vision is realized. It's really amazing to me that this is really happening. I wake up some mornings and I look at my to-do list and my to-do list has stuff to do for ministry, for our staff, for follow-up, and the building. And I'm amazed that I get to see this happen. I'm amazed that I get to see 77 baptisms. I'm amazed that I've been able to get in the pool or cannonball in the pool or whatever I gotta do to get in the pool, but I get to see those baptisms. I get to stand before my Father and say, look what I brought you. Not a building, not money, but lives. That's what we're called to do. So vision, and a lot of questions, I know because God's got vision in your life. You know, let me let me help you. Submit to that. Stop being afraid of your desires and your daydreams and get into the vision that God has called you to. And, and here's some filters. How do I know if this vision is from God? Here's a couple of things. It's going to be bigger than you. And there's only the only way that you're going to do this is with His help. When God called Heather and I to launch this church, we're like, there's no way. There's no way we can do this. And God said, You're right. There is no way you can do it. I can do it through you. Early on in the process, I was on the phone with my pastor. And he said, how you feeling? I said, man, I really feel like God's trying to kill me. And he laughed. And he goes, I said, what's funny? He goes, let me just give you some advice. Go ahead and die. He said, God wants you out of his way so he can do what he's called you and he's created you to do. Get your hands off of it. God has given you guys some vision. I mean, I was talking with a family after the first service and the vision God's put on their heart on how to reach kids from broken families and broken homes. And just the means and the mechanisms that God has put on his heart to reach those families. I was talking with another woman that God has placed a vision in her heart and on her life to be able to reach kids of broken homes and broken families so that the parents are, uh, as a result, seeing Jesus put together broken kids and then families. You see, God's vision is bigger. How does that get accomplished? Only by his help, only by the blood, only through the cross. And so I don't want to spend all our time on that. Um, let's get into this because uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to talk about how the building, how the facility helps the mission God's called us to do. Um, because the facility is just that. It's, it facilitates ministry. Let's not make the building the end. The building is a means to the end. Jesus is the end. Our goal, our our hope is to be conformed and molded in the the likeness of Jesus, not of a building. We saw that last week. Um, We're going to be in Ephesians. What's great about Ephesians? Last week we finished up Acts chapter 19, and Paul was in Ephesus, and we saw Paul deal with the uh, temple of Artemis, one of the greatest buildings in in that area. It was a a wonder, let's see, it was a seven wonder of the ancient world. So it's a beautiful building, incredible facility that was worshipped out of. And it was false worship. They worshipped Diana or Artemis, and Artemis was a means to an end. They worshipped her to get what they wanted. I explained to you last week, don't worship Jesus to get what you want. Jesus is the end. Jesus is the object of our worship. So Paul, we just saw him in Ephesus. Now he's writing a letter back to the uh, church in Ephesus, Ephesians. And Paul's in prison at this point. And he's writing him back to encourage him. I'm going to actually read the whole chapter um, just because I love the context. It's one of my favorite uh, chapters in Scripture. Chapter 2, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So that's what I'm talking about. My heart, and we're in the same boat. We have the ability to be selfish. We're born as a result of the fall. Sin reigned from Adam until the time of Christ. And so when I try to come up with my dreams and my plans, they're going to be broken. They're going Honestly, I can create plans that out of my flesh are objects of wrath. And then it goes on. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. What he's saying is this whole life, this whole reconciliation, you can't earn it. You can't give your way to it. You can't serve your way to it. It is not by works. And, and Paul's saying this to the church at Ephesus because they're so used in this religious structure that if I go worship Artemis in this way, I'll get this. God is not a transactional God. God is a relational God. And it's because of the grace, the grace, the grace that we're saved. Not unto ourselves. And I love how Paul goes on to it. Um, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's keep going. Therefore, remember I told you, if you see, therefore in Scripture, you've got to look at the previous passage to see what it's there for. The the passage that we're going to focus in on starts in in verse 19, and the first word of verse 19 is consequently. Consequently means I've said something that has consequences. I want to know what he said so I know the consequences of what he said. Well, then when I go back to the previous passage, it says therefore. Okay, so the consequences are based on something that he says therefore. So what is it therefore? Because we're saved by grace through faith, by the blood of Christ, shed on the cross, he was placed in a tomb, he was resurrected on the third day. It's a gift of grace, we can't earn it. He says, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the, the circumcision, that done in the body, that at time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise." without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. There's the circumcision thing again. It just seems to come up every, every so many weeks, doesn't it? That circumcision, understand this, the Holy Spirit is cutting away the flesh of our hearts so that the selfish desires are, are leaving so that it is more of his vision, his desire, his goal, his fruit, his peace, his spirit in our lives. So he's saying, you're saved by grace, you're made one in Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing his flesh Uh, In his flesh, the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create himself, himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. By which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. What he's saying is all this division... He's brought us together and he tears down the division so we have access. We're saved and now we have access to our Father. We're not just, uh, like I said, our God is not a transactional God. He's a relational God. He doesn't just save us for his trophies. He saves us to have a relationship with us. And Paul is going back to Jesus. Every time Paul would speak, man, he would always go back to Jesus. When he was in Ephesus... What was he talking about? The gospel. What was he accused of? He was accused of leading people astray from other gods because he was preaching Jesus. And he says, Jesus is the one you're looking for. Jesus is the answer. I know you think I'm creating problems by preaching Jesus, but Jesus is really the answer. He says, so you're saved by grace, you're made one with him now, consequently. A a wonder of the ancient world. Incredible building. So it was really a pride centerpiece of the city. And what Paul's saying here is you've been saved by grace. You've been unified by the blood and the Holy Spirit. And now you are that building. That whole temple of Artemis was later torn down. And he's saying you are the building that God is creating, that he's building on. Jesus, who is the chief Cornerstone. The cornerstone is the most important, the most prominent stone in the structure. It's, it's that stone that all the attention is drawn from. It's the one that's given the most honor, given the most position. Jesus is, by his very nature, the cornerstone of all creation. And then he says this foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. We tend to think that the apostles and prophets are built up to a level that they, un, they, they support Jesus as the cornerstone. Don't, don't miss this. To build upon the foundation by which they laid. What was the foundation? The gospel. We've seen it through the book of Acts. What happened on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit comes down, the believers go out, people come in. The gospel is the foundation of this, this building that Paul is talking about. Jesus, who is the cornerstone, is also the foundation. The gospel is this. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That he was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, walked a hill called Calvary. He was hung on a Roman cross and crucified. While he was dead, descended into hell, defeated death, defeated hell, took the keys to hell, and on the third day, walked out of the tomb victorious. There is nothing That can have mastery or power over Jesus. He defeated it all. That's the gospel. And it gets better by that grace, by that sacrifice. He saves us, He makes us one, and He takes us and makes us part of that church, that building. We are building the church, we're not building a building. We're building the church. I, I've had several people ask me, well, can I come in and help do sheetrock? Can I come in and help do this? It, it, let me, um, how do I say this politically correct? There's no way to do it. Just forgive me. If we relied on volunteers to build this building, it'd be a two and a half to three year project. Okay, our contractor whom we have hired is a two and a half month month project. Our responsibility is to build the church, not with hammer and nails, but with the gospel and the Holy Spirit fueling this mission. He continues to use us in this foundational process of building, and he grafts us in. He continues to build on us. So the vision for the church is the same as it was when we launched in a daycare. The vision for the creek is the same as when we were meeting in Ryan and Amber's house in the game room and the kids destroying the first level of their home. The vision for the house goes back to that living room night in my parents' house of saying, this is what God has called us to do. The vision for the creek goes back to in 2009 when God called Heather and I apart and said, this is what I'm calling you to do. The vision for the house goes back to the church at Ephesus when Paul says, you are building... God is building on the foundation of the gospel with Jesus as the cornerstone, which is the same vision that goes back to when Jesus' ministry was alive and thriving on earth, when he was speaking face to face with Pharisees and those who were broken and caught up in sin and saying, it is the kingdom of God. It is the sacrifice. It is me. It is I who am going to take away the sin of the world. It goes back to the prophets of the Old Testament that says he is coming. He's preparing a way, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be born. Born of a virgin. He is the one you've been waiting for. It's the same vision that goes back to Genesis, that in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, and God had to do something to make a way for that to be right. He killed an animal. He sacrificed it. There was bloodshed. He gave them clothes. That was the plan. That was the foreshadowing of Jesus. It's the same vision that before any of this was ever created or spoken into existence, that God in the trinity form that was in community with himself said, this is what I want to see happen. This is what I want to build. Before he spoke a word of any creation into existence, he knew what he was building. And that's the church. It's us. God is not about buildings. We see in the Old Testament this beautiful temple. What do we see in the New Testament? We are the temple. He says, I don't dwell in a place that's built by human hands. I'm dwelling in my place. We build. We're a part of the building." the vision that God has called us to. We undergird our vision that God has called us to as a church with some core values. Those core values are truth. I believe we glorify God as we live in truth. Our mission will never change, and that's to bring glory to God through lives changed by the message of Jesus. That's the gospel. That can happen in a daycare. That can happen in a house. That can happen in a boat, on a train, with green eggs and ham. I don't know the whole story. I'll speak the gospel. Yes, I can. I'll speak the gospel because he is I am. I don't know. I made that. That was free, by the way. That was no notes. That was ad lib, free verse rhyme right there, baby. But we glorify God as we live in truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Is that exclusive? I'm sorry. Yes, it is. There is no other way, there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved other than Jesus. There's no path, there's no opportunity, there's no whatever we want to soften it down to. If Jesus said, I'm it. I am it. He is the name that is above every name, that at the appointed time every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. There's no other claim to that power in the universe that Jesus has. He is the truth. We will speak the truth of Scripture. We will teach the truth of Scripture. We teach verse by verse. We've been going through the book of Acts, which, by the way, you know we've done 40 weeks in Acts. We started in January, and we're not done yet. We just finished chapter 19. I'm not in a hurry to get through it. I know the end of the book. I've read the entirety of Scripture I know what happens, but here's what's so beautiful. Uh, if you just take the word of God, I can sum it up in three words for you, from cover to cover. Jesus is Lord. You remember this, the game show, Name That Tune? I can name that tune in three notes, Bob. I can name the Bible in one word, intimacy. We study God's word because God is reaching out to have an intimate relationship to draw near to us so that we can draw near to Him. That's why we spend time in His Word. And I don't come to the Scripture with a pen and pencil for me to change what God's saying to me. I come with a pen and paper so that I can write down and receive what God is telling me through His Word. Scripture contradicts me all the time. And I let it change me, not I change it. So we live in truth. We will speak the truth. We will handle the truth in love just because we know the truth doesn't mean we have the, the the license to be jerks about it. Most of the persecution that happens with the church today is because we're prideful jerks with the gospel. And then we like to go out and, and, and be rude to people, and then we come back and look for some kind of sticker on our helmet because we got persecuted for being rude. And God's like, man, I, I'm going to deal with you. There's discipline that's coming, just saying. We're going to glorify God with a life of worship. Worship is not just the song set. It's not the cello. It's not the guitar. It's not the style. It's not the song. It's a lifestyle of worship that everything we do in word and deed, we give glory to our Father. Everything we do, we're giving thanks to Him. And we live a life of worship. We also glorify God as we live in relationship with one another. This is a core value of community. God created us to live in relationship, relationship with him and one another. There's no, there's no more beautiful way to, to express love, discipleship, and growth than when we can walk beside somebody and see lives changed. My life has been changed as a result of this church. I've got friends that I didn't have three and a half years ago. And, and let me tell you something. I don't. I don't. We don't give a special ring of honor uh, to people who are here at the very beginning over people who were they visited last week or this is your first day. Because let me tell you something. This church launched with twenty seven people. Those twenty seven people cannot carry the entirety of ministry that happens in this place on their own. It takes all of us. It takes the community growing. It takes about 75 to 90 people a weekend to make what happens happen. If it was just on the 27 of us who were here at the beginning patting each other on the back, we were here first. We'd be dead. I'd have preached 26 funerals, and then y'all be figuring out how to preach mine we're going to live in community, and then we're going to glorify God as we live out his mission. It's the idea of missional living. It's that we understand more of who Jesus is, and we follow him so closely that we can easily reflect Him to the world around us. And a building doesn't, doesn't make all that happen. A building is a tool for that to happen. I see that being a place that, yeah, we can gather for community. Yeah, when we engage in missional living and serving our community, we've got a place that we can say, hey, come here. I mean, do you realize what kind of stewardship happens with this daycare facility? At the beginning of the school year, there's several hundred people that come through here to get clothes and school supplies. We haven't waited. Well, once we have a building, we'll do that. We're going to do it. If we got to do it in the parking lot, we've had service in this parking lot before. It was cold. but We had a tent. I'm, Kevin was praying earlier about our tent poles, and I was thinking about that tent service. But God's given us a vision for a church. He's given us a vision to reach the people. Just so you know, within about 15-minute drive-time of this location, there's about 170,000 people. We're called to go. We're not called to build this giant place to bring everybody to and say, come look what we've done. We're called to go engage with the gospel. And we're going, to use the, we're going to be a good steward of the building. We're going to make fun of ourselves. We're going to make fun of the building because it's not going to be perfect. If you're looking for perfect, I, I'll give you the address where we're building next. <laughs> you can meet us there. Scope it out for us. It's not going to be perfect. But it's going to be exactly what we need to keep preaching the gospel, to keep loving each other, to keep worshiping him, and to keep making him clear and living a life that reflects him that way. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for this time together this morning. We thank you for your word, your truth, and we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that gives us gives us the most beautiful message, this message of reconciliation, the message of hope, the message of life. And so, Father, right now, I just pray that every one of us in this room, I, I, I pray that all of the things that may be blocking our vision, uh, would you help us tear those down? Whether those be idols, because we can easily make a building an idol or we can make success an idol, we can make whatever the desire of our heart from our flesh an idol. Would you help us to cut that out so we can see your vision in a way that is clear, that it is compelling Father, would you give us the courage to to declare what your vision is so that we can gain accountability with other people around us to walk out that vision that you've given us, to encourage us, to challenge us, to hold us accountable. Father, we thank you that you're not uh, living or dwelling in a place built by human hands, but you choose to dwell in us, that your Holy Spirit makes a home in us. So would you continue to build your dwelling place? Would you rearrange, would you do some demolition, some reconstruction, some remodeling? And Father, I also pray in this room that you do some new construction, that you give new life today. We love you, we thank you, we trust you. Of all the things that can be said about us, I pray that it is said that we followed you with everything we've got. That we made you clear and we loved people. We thank you for this opportunity to gather and worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinegreekchurch.com Thank you.